Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to tournament poker strategy. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Fez Buddy and Killing Bird. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. My name is Killing Bird. Thank you for being here, as always. And today I am joined by a very special guest of sorts, um, our new friend Clayton Fletcher. What's up, brother? Hey, thank you for calling me special. Uh, <laughs> that hasn't happened since high school. <laughs> and I, But this Appreciate time, I, I mean it in a nice way this time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, so I know a lot of people out there are listening and they're wondering, wait, Clayton Fletcher, I know that name. Wasn't he on the last episode of the Tournament Folk Reg podcast? And yes, you would be correct, he was. Um, so we're going to talk to you guys and explain a little bit about why Clayton is back. Uh, so for a long time now, we have been struggling, which is probably a kind way to put it, uh, to get out consistent episodes of this podcast. TP has been around for about eight years now, and frankly, life has changed for many of us. You know, Casey's got three babies now, uh, he's got a wife, he's built, built, just built a house, Diego's got a new gig, um, Mark is knee-deep in the da- daily fantasy sports world, um, I've moved out here to Las Vegas, and I'm actually moving back to North Carolina soon to get involved with a distillery. So life's just crazy, and uh, we got to talking to Clayton uh, around the time that we did the last podcast with him, and he's, you know, he comes from the standpoint um, uh, of being a fan of the podcast first, long before he was a guest, and he's like, man, I wish there were more episodes. Um, and Clayton, you came to me with an idea, and you're like, hey man, how about I help with the Tournament Poker Edge podcast? Uh, and we talked about it, and you had some ideas, I had some ideas, and uh, and we came up with a plan. And that plan is for you, Clayton, to host the podcast going forward. Uh, and I'm excited about it. What uh, What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I'm shocked that you guys went for it. Um, <laughs> I don't know what you were thinking, but uh, the way I looked at it is like these guys are putting out like three podcasts a year at this rate, and uh, even if my if I end up hosting the podcast for them and I suck, I think it's better to have, like, you know, 50 podcasts a year that suck than three that don't. So, I mean, I don't know if everybody will agree with that, but that's my logic. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, the goal is not to suck, of course, but, right. yeah, I mean, we, we can't have everything. Yeah, and I think what was cool is, you know, for me, a big part of it was the fact that you had, you know, you had been a fan for a long time, you had listened to all the episodes, so you kind of understand what the podcast is about because I do think it's it's a little bit of a different podcast it's very sort of it's off the cuff and you know there's a lot of humor and comedy and ball busting and whatnot but you know we obviously eventually transition into some relatively serious strategy talk um, and I don't really foresee that that format sort of changing a ton um, you know obviously you'll be the host but I for people out there who are like, wait, but we want Big Dog and we want Killing Bird and we want, uh, fear not. We, you know, we'll all be making regular appearances. It'll sort of be a rotating cast of characters. The biggest thing is that you know Clayton can can spend a little more time coordinating, organizing, scheduling, um, getting the guests 
uh, scheduled for the right nights and things like that. Um, so, you know, it's not going to be a huge change in terms of uh, sort of the, the feel of the podcast. Um, it'll just be, you'll just be hearing a different voice. Um, yeah, and there'll yeah. be a lot more to feel because we're going yeah. to start doing this every week. And uh, to me, that's the most exciting part is that the, I know there are so many listeners out there that, like me, would just wait on pins and needles for you guys to release another uh, episode. And you know, I think recently they gave up on those pins and needles because there's <laughs> <laughs> been hardly any episodes. Yeah. But uh, you know, we can have it be something you know that you can count on and that we're going to have every single week. Uh, at a bare minimum, it'll be me talking about poker. Uh, I'm hoping that each and every week we can have uh, the regular voices that you guys are used to hearing, whether it's Casey, Mark, um, Diego, Derek, uh, and anyone else that you're used to hearing on the podcast. Um, but, but yeah, I decided to uh, offer my services as an experienced podcast host. I had a podcast years ago called Broadway Comedy Club Radio, which was basically stand-up comedy podcast based here in New York City, where I live. And um, you know, I, I think that just the fact that I know that I'll do it every week, it should be good news for everyone listening. So, yeah. uh, and hopefully you guys will learn to love me. I'm sure most of you don't yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll exactly. There. Yeah, and I think what's what'll be cool too is is bringing in some some other fresh blood as well. I mean, we have a lot of great instructors on on the TP roster. So, you know, getting guys like Andrew Brokus in or Jason Smith or Assassinato or any of these guys to like talk a little strategy and, and catch up on their lives. I think it's going to be cool. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to hear what everybody out there has to say about it. I'm sure there'll be some people who, you know, are like, who don't like change <laughs> in general. Um, <laughs> That's most people. Yeah. But like you said, I mean, I, I came from a very, uh, I, I came at this from a very uh, similar standpoint to what you're describing, which is, um, it, it, this is our baby a little bit, you know. So to to some degree, it's kind of like, man, do, you know, do I want to give up the reins of this? Uh, but like you said, there are no reins to hold on to right now. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, three, you know, three podcasts in a year or whatever we've managed to 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 put out. Um, is not a lot to, to, to kind of try to hold on to. So, and, and from a selfish standpoint, it's awesome because I love poker podcasts. Um, but I never listened to my own because I did them. So I know what was said, uh, but I'm looking forward to the, you know, I, there's going to be days where I get to just, you know, download the latest episode and I have no idea what was covered. So, um, yeah, you know, from a, yeah, from and a I'm, poker standpoint, I'm excited. Absolutely. And I'm out there, um, you know, playing regularly uh, I don't play as much online poker as uh, most of you guys do, but I'm in the live world. Um, you know, if you listened last week, you know that I got, or to, to the last episode, rather, you know that I got really far in the World Series main event again um, this year. I've also been, you know, playing, you know, between 30 and 40 live tournaments uh, every year. I mean, as far as major events, mm -hmm. every year for the last several years. And so uh, one thing I'm in the habit of doing and have been in the habit of doing for the last 10 years is uh, recording uh, really important hands that I play right when they happen. Ever since I read Gus Hansen's book where he was recording all of his hands because he was planning to write a book uh, in the Aussie Millions and then he ended up winning the damn thing, <laughs> uh, I decided to kind of copy his model. And whenever I play a really important pot, not because I was ever planning to write a book, but because I wanted to ask my uh, poker friends that are better at the game than I am, or just people that I respect in general, 
what do you think about how I played this hand? And I hate when somebody tries to ask me about a hand and he doesn't have the details. So <laughs> I make sure I record all the details. Well, I can't remember if it was a spade or a heart. No, that's kind of important. Yeah. We need to know the details. So okay. I do record them right, right in, the, in real time. Yeah, I can't tell you how many hand histories I've heard from people where I have to go back and go, okay, let's start over. How many chips do we have? <laughs> what position are we in? I don't know. It could have been cut off. could have been hijack. Well... That it kind of matters. Yeah, it sort of matters. Yeah. Yeah, and that'll yeah. be cool too. You know, bringing in some of that, um, that live flair because we, you know, me and Diego, who have, who have, I think, hosted every episode, um, we play. You know, I play live during the World Series, and I hit a couple of circuit events here and there, but I don't play nearly the volume live that you do or that most professional poker players do. Frankly, um, I probably play more online tournaments than your average bird. But um, you know, live as far as live goes, it's like I mean, I four months can go by before I play a live tournament. So uh, it'll be cool because you'll have, you know, not only great hands to talk about, but just fun stories. You know, there's just so many characters and and sort of contexts to the live poker scene that, that you'll be able to, you know, sort of shed some light on and, and let, our, let our listeners in on. So I think it's going to be really cool. I, I invite feedback. I know Clayton feels the same way. You know, let us, got, let, let us know what you guys think. Um, go easy on us <laughs> give Clayton a little time to get settled in before you make up your mind um, but <laughs> no, I, I they think can be fine. harsh with me it's fine you know I, I've been doing stand-up comedy for 15 years so I've developed a pretty thick skin they could yeah. tell me how much they hate me from episode one it's fine <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and it's funny too because that's one of the things that sort of made me feel pretty comfortable about it because if, if someone you know if some random Joe had just come to me and said hey let me host the podcast I'll do it I would have been like well I'm gonna need to like hear some you know, I'm need to hear you communicate. Can you like send me a demo of some sort? Uh, right. But I'm like, I'm like, here's a guy who's like, whose job, a, you know, half of his job is poker, which is perfect, and the other half is literally communicating to people in a, you know, coherent and hopefully sometimes funny way. You know, so, uh, I mean, it just couldn't have been more of a perfect uh, situation as far as I was concerned. I'm so glad you feel that way, and I just can't wait to uh, to jump in. Yeah, it's going to be good times. Um, so with that in mind, I mean, we're going to we're going to talk about a couple of hands from a recent tournament you played. I know you uh, you just got back from a live stop. You're going to have to remind me, Baltimore or where was it? New York? No, I, I would remember. Atlantic City, Borgata. That's right. They have the big Borgata series. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those events are always cool. I know that, you know, one of the things people will, will remember hearing said on this podcast a lot is how much um, myself, but in particular, Diego, love those Borgata series because they're just so damn well run. Yeah, the Borgata team is uh, beyond reproach as far as I'm concerned. Um, just the way they put together the schedule, um, from the way they run the tournament, the way you can pretty much count on things being done on the up and up. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge Borgata fan. And what really sealed the deal for me was I actually had a gig headlining at the Tropicana uh, on the weekend that the Borgata Poker Open ended. So... I said, well, this would be perfect if I can uh, go out to Atlantic City just a week early, spend a week playing poker, and then when that's all said and done, um, you know, make some money telling jokes regardless of how I did on the felt. So yeah. <laughs> it's a, hedging my bets in a sense. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's always nice to have a backup plan. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And was, so, and, was there any potential that there was a tournament you were going to go in that was like so deep that you – I mean, I assume you planned it so you wouldn't run into the <laughs> into your comedy gig. Well, one thing I can tell you, now that I just sung the praises of the Borgata, sometimes they do have a bad habit of changing the schedule 
multiple times after it's released. Oh, yeah. So what you see online might not end up being what you see when you get there. It might just be like a three o'clock start time instead of a two o'clock or, you know, this or that is a little bit changed. But this time they had originally had the final table of the main event ending on Thursday. And then when I got there, I saw that the main event was ending on Friday which meant that had I made the final table, spoiler alert, I did not. But had I done that, I actually had another comedian from New York waiting in the wings so that if I would have, <laughs> if I made it to the end of the day on Thursday, I was going to call this guy late at night and be like, okay, you're filling in for me at Tropicana because I have to go play the final table. <laughs> we should have these kind of problems. Yeah, but yeah. it didn't It didn't go that way. I've, I've, gone, <laughs> I've played so many tournaments where I have to make a backup plan for flights home. You know, like, oh, right, I right. have to change my plane, but that's a good problem to have if I make this final table. But I can't say I've ever had to, like, reschedule a comedy gig. <laughs> if I right. Final yeah. table. You, weren't, you weren't supposed to be headlining somewhere while you were playing poker. Right. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> funny. Well, in that case, I'm glad you didn't make the final table. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Funny. The comedy fans were, were happy, so I yeah. was there. <laughs> okay. uh, and how did the gig go? Yeah, the gigs were awesome. We did four shows, two on Friday and two on Saturday, a place called Atlantic City Comedy Club. Uh, it was super fun. Uh, people, generally speaking, the casino gigs are not the best because you know any comedian will tell you uh, it's mostly an older than average crowd than what you would expect in a, in a comedy club. And many times it's people that lost all their money and then the casino gave them free tickets. Oh. Uh, (laughs) to go see comedy and they're in no mood (laughs) so uh, tough crowd to say the least but this particular setup was different because this was actually um, a nightclub that does comedy before the nightclub gets started so some of the people that were in the in the comedy show audience were actually there for the nightclub that was starting at 11 o'clock so they were hanging out uh, something like if you come to the comedy show, you don't have to pay the cover for the nightclub, et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of a way to pregame. So these people came to play, and they were really, really great. Uh, and, you know, I was friends with the other comics, so we just we just had a blast. It was really, really fun. I can't wait to go back there again. I had a great time. Nice. That's awesome. Well, now that I'll be getting back to the, uh, to the East Coast, I used to go to AC usually like twice a year. Um, so I'll be getting up that way. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll finally get to meet in person and maybe play a little poker and maybe I can catch a show while I'm at it. That sounds great. Yeah. Your, uh, Vegas life didn't last very long, did it? No. In fact, I'm actually losing track of when and who I've told, um, <laughs> this, this situation to, to be honest. So there might be people listening to this going, wait, you're not staying in Vegas. Cause I don't think, I don't think I had made this decision by the time we did the last podcast. Um, no. but basically, no. yeah. So, you know, my wife and I moved out here, um, not even really poker related. We were just ready to make a move, wanted to try something new. So we came out here to check out Vegas. Actually made an offer on a house, which got uh, turned down, thankfully, in hindsight. Um, so we've just been renting this house in Henderson outside of Vegas. And um, essentially, I just got an offer that I couldn't refuse, which was one to be involved with the, the start of a new distillery back in North Carolina. Wow. Yeah, making whiskeys and bourbons. And um, it's a brand new in fact the first bottles are hitting the shelves tomorrow uh, only in north carolina sorry for anybody listening anywhere else you can't get it outside of north carolina yet uh, but it's just a, it's something that i've always wanted to be involved in you know i left working at a brewery to come here that was something i always wanted to do so i kind of checked that off my bucket list and then uh, when this opportunity came up i was like well man you know we haven't found a house um 
nothing holding us here. In fact, we had actually, truth be told, we had started looking at some other cities as possible moves. We're like, well, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't where we wanted to be. Maybe we should check out Portland or Austin or some other city. Um, and then when this opportunity came up, we're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's go for it. Uh, so, we're, you know, we packed up our cars, drove across the country, all the way to North Carolina, sold our house, sold pretty much everything we owned. Um, and now we're going to pack up the cars again and drive back, <laughs> back. across the country. <laughs> Uh, so looking forward to that in a you know in a weird way. Um, we're gonna depart here on Halloween morning actually, uh, which is probably nice. a good time to get out of Vegas. Um, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, and I come from Detroit, where Halloween is like a deadly holiday. So um, sure, Vegas is probably not much better. So we're, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna jump up and uh, and get out of here and hopefully be back in North Carolina by early November and start the the next adventure so yeah so i'll be back on the east coast in fact uh, for people who are used to seeing me at the circuit event in cherokee north carolina i believe i'll be there in november so um i'll probably uh, funnily funnily enough i'll probably end up playing more live poker there than i did here because i've actually other than the world series i've played three tournaments in the six months i've lived in las vegas so um it'll be (laughs) it'll be an opportunity to play more poker oddly enough (laughs) yeah that's pretty surprising you would think somebody living in vegas would be playing non-stop poker uh but yeah obviously you had your hands full with other things and you probably played plenty of online there right yeah i've definitely gotten in a lot of online volume um in fact definitely more than i was getting back uh, back before i moved but i've just never been a big fan of live you know it's kind of like i don't know some people like cash games i like tournaments um some people like live poker some like online i've just always been an online tournament guy uh, and i you know i do enjoy the, the times i do play live but usually by the time I'm done with maybe a tournament or two or three tournaments, I'm like, man, I can't wait to get back online. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> this whole busting and not being able to re-enter 20 things is just really bumming me out. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is one downside. You don't have 62 other screens open that you can jump right onto another uh, hand. Yeah, that's true. And I think part of the challenge... You have to be alone with your thoughts after you bust live. Yeah, it yeah. sucks. Yeah. Part, part, of, part of the challenge for me, too, is that I think, like... I so when I used to when I lived in North Carolina, I the only time I would play live, other than when I would travel to AC or Cherokee or whatever, would be like a little like an underground cash game, and I always treated that not really as going out to play poker. It was more like oh, I'm gonna go hang out with my friends and we'll like watch football. Oh, and there'll be a poker game going on too. Everybody else was there to play poker and they were serious about it. But for me, it was like a, just a, an excuse to get out of my house and not be in my office six days a week. Um, right. So I you know I always lost. Well, not always. I, I lost often in those games because I wasn't there. I wasn't there to win. I was just there to like blow off some steam, have some fun, drink a few cocktails, see my buddies. And I think I treat live poker here, other than the World Series, because that's it's, it's a special animal. But I, at the times I've played live here, I've treated it the exact same way. It's like, oh, I'm gonna go out and play poker, and you know, I sit down, I order a shot and a beer, and I just like, I just have fun, you know, and, and sometimes I would go deep and sometimes I wouldn't, but I definitely never went into it like, okay, got a tournament today, got to really focus up, got to play good, <laughs> there was none of that, um, so yeah, it's just for whatever reason, just not a live guy, but um, that's okay, because we have a new host yeah. who is a live guy, so it's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a live guy, and, and I can tell you as a live guy, a shot and a beer at the beginning of the tournament is uh, not GTO. No, but the people at your table are really happy you're there. They're like, oh, cool, this guy already ordered two drinks. This is who we want at our table. (laughs) Yeah, you can be the most popular guy at the table as you're getting wasted in round one. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's always good. Yeah, I tweeted out something not that long ago. Like, I always thought beer level was level one. Like, people talk right, about beer right. level. I've like, <laughs> been doing it wrong all this time. So, um, well, cool. Working. So, um, this is this will probably end up being a, sh- a slightly shorter episode than past and, and even future episodes. But um, at some point, I guess we got to jump into some strategy. Because um, I know you have some hands from that Borgata event. Yeah, yeah. So this is the uh, Borgata Poker Open. Um, it's a World Poker Tour uh, championship event with a $3,500 buy-in. Um, it has two starting days. I played on the first starting day, I think. I might have played the second starting day. No, I did play the second starting day. Sorry. So I've already made my first mistake in details. <laughs> you start with uh, 40000 chips i had a good table but it was short i think they were expecting more players um with these tournaments i don't know how many of the listeners are um playing live world poker tour championship events but the main events you can actually buy in on day two for most of them so yeah i mean you buy in with like 20 big blinds or something like that right if you want to you know take a gamble with 3500 dollars and play short stacked you can um, but if you buy in at the beginning of the day, as I did, you get 40,000 chips and, uh, it's one hour levels and the blinds are, uh, they start out 50 and 100. So you just have 400 big blinds. So you've got a stack. That's yeah. Nice. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but you know, now, so that might be an argument for, well then just, you know, play solid, go for value, play tight, play solid. But my table was shorthanded. Actually, we started with four players. Oh wow! And so you can't really be you. You can't be too tight, or you will get blinded down. Right. Even with four hundred big blinds, when it's that short, you need to get involved. Um, one of my opponents was Ashley Sleeth, who is a player with whom I'm familiar. You know, I played with her before. She's very, very competent. Um. She is uh, uh, you know, a professional player. She travels the world. I've seen her in Australia at the Aussie Millions. Um, she's, you know, she's, not, uh, she's, not, she's not a joke. Um, she's been, uh, I think, a little tighter than she ideally would have been, but I think she might not have a ton of experience playing four-handed. Um, yeah, as most of us don't have a ton of experience with a really, really short table. Um, a couple late registrations, and by the time we got to level two, we had a six-handed table, which is a little bit more in everybody's comfort zone. But by then, I had built my 40K up to 50K, so I was I was doing great. Um, so level two is almost over. They're announcing dealers finish this hand, and then there's going to be a 15-minute break. And by now, the big blind has already left. So he's gone on his break already, which is something you won't see online, but happens quite a bit live. People go on the break a few minutes early because they want to go smoke cigarettes or whatever people do on their break. So anyway, the blinds are 100 and 200. We have 50,000. We're in the small blind with the 10 of spades, nine of clubs. And Ashley, who I mentioned, opens from the cutoff to 500. The button, who is one of the players who recently bought in, uh, he has this 40,000 starting stack, and he calls on the button. 
So I'm in the small blind with this hand, the 10-9 off. I don't really have much of a read on the button. The big blind is gone, so if I do call, I'm going to close the action. Mm -hmm. I don't think folding is terrible, but I, I didn't really consider it too carefully. Yeah, I think folding would be, you know, reasonable. But like you said, you get to close the action, which we don't always get to do in this situation. And we're just so deep. And, I mean, you know, 9-10 suited would be a snap for me to call. But I feel I still think yeah. nine, I still think nine ten off is is fine. You know, it's costing us four hundred to win. No, five. 10, yeah, there's 12, 11, 12, 13, twelve. Yeah, thirteen hundred. I mean, I, I think that's totally reasonable. Yeah. All right. So I thought about uh, using this hand as a three bet. Um, you know, as a squeeze, the unknown button calling. Uh, if I knew the the button if i knew his tendencies more i think that i would put this hand into my squeezing range mm -hmm. uh, especially because i don't expect ashley to go to war with me um i don't think that she's afraid of me but i think that she probably thinks there are better spots at the table um and also we might as well say well you know what i tried to steal the blinds especially noticing that the big blind had already gone on break so it you know i got three bed i'm just going to fold and take my break right i think that's what players would do so I considered it, but given that I don't know anything about the button, I just called. Um, so now the pot is 1,600, and the flop comes 10, 10, 6 with two diamonds. So that's a pretty awesome flop for our hand, to say the least. Love it. Um, I decided to lead out with my trips. Um, I bet 1,000 into the 1,600 pot. And I have a few reasons for this. I want to tell you why I did it this way, and then I want to get your thoughts on whether this is a terrible play or not. <laughs> cool. uh, I have a donk leading range, um, uh, probably a lot more than most players out of the small blind. To me, I never check dark, and I'm not a huge, well, let's just check to the razor and let the game play in flow. I find that donk leading uh, throws a lot of players off because... I think most of the training sites and most of the coaches out there kind of advise people to go ahead and check to the razor maybe more often than, than I do. Mm -hmm. So when I do it, it throws them off. Like, what does this exactly mean? I'd also certainly want to bet out with uh, a diamond draw um, or even maybe like a gut shot. Like if I had like the eight of diamonds, seven of clubs for a gut shot and backdoor flush draw, those kind of hands, I would lead out. Mm -hmm. Um I'd also probably lead out with a six. If it came 10-10-6 and I had something like an ace six, I'd probably lead there. So I think if I'm leading with some of my bluffs and some of my marginal hands, I should also leave, lead with some of my nutted hands just for balance. And I think that I'm probably going to get raised here if Ashley happens to have an overpair. I think she might at least consider raising my bet here, which could help me build a really big pot when I have a big, big hand. Yep. Um, and I don't think that, uh, you know, on the other hand, I don't think that Ashley would see bet if she has something like king-queen, no pair, no draw. With two opponents, I don't see her auto-see betting, even on a paired board. So I didn't think I could get the check raise in very much. Right. And I think, too, if you, uh, it, if you bet she's going to... To a not put you on a ten very often because 
as you said, most players here when they have a 10 are going to check and try to go for the check raise. Um, right. And also, when she does check back things like king queen or take your you know take your pick of other hands that don't necessarily connect with this board very well um there's gonna be a lot of cards on the turn that now if you decide to lead like say it goes check 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 on the flop and you want to lead the turn like they're gonna be scary cards you know and not not necessarily even just for you but that are gonna be sort of be action killers you know like a action killers a seven, right you know seven eight nine or any diamond really um, maybe another six like there's a bunch of stuff where they're just gonna go ah shit you know now, now I you know I didn't like this board that much before and now I really don't like it so see ya uh, see I kind of right. I kind of like the idea of leading here uh, you know partially for deception but also like I mean I think even a lot of times if she has like ace king with the ace of diamonds like there's a bunch of hands she's gonna call you with oh yeah I don't think she can just fold the ace king with the ace of diamonds here yeah um, I think she could she could fold like a black king queen she I don't even think she could fold like a pair of fives. No, I certainly don't think I would be. Because if I see you leading this board, like, I kind of think of that part of your range you were talking about, like the, uh, you know, the gut shots with a backdoor flush draw kind of hands, or ju- even just straight up gut shots. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm I'm going to call you a lot here when you lead. Yeah. Which I think is a real... Yeah. Or raise, uh, like, you know, like I said. So why, if we think she's going to call or raise that high of a percentage of time, then why give her the chance to check that small percentage of time that she's going to, you know? Like Absolutely. So yeah, I dig it. Cool, cool. So um Ashley calls and uh, the button folds. So before we talk about the turn, why don't you tell me what you think Ashley's kind of range is when she calls? So I think it can be I mean it Basically, for the reasons we just tried, I think it can be a lot of things. It can be any two big cards with a diamond, uh, particularly if it's something... I mean, even something like King-Queen with the King of Diamonds, where they can, like... I mean, I don't think that's a big part of it, but where they, they can turn tons of equity, whether it be a Jack yeah. or... Um, Another diamond. diamond. Yeah, sure. Or, or you know, the, she might also just be like, well, this looks like a draw or a six or something like that, so I don't even necessarily need to hit those cards. I can just hit my king or queen, too. Yeah, um, sure. So I think a bunch of those kind of hands. I think all the middling pairs, you know, sevens through nines would make sense. Even fives, fours. I mean, hell, deuces for that matter. Like, I don't know if I'm... Maybe I'm fooling that small, smallest of pairs because... You know, even when the right. you know, when the port, uh, six comes, like we're dead, etc. But right, right. But I still, I still think she's gonna call with like fours and fives and all those middling pairs. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could yeah. also. I mean, it's possible you might have a better read on her, like what she would do with like jacks, queens, kings, aces. I, I don't think it's probably. I think I think she would raise maybe. I don't know. Do you think she would raise aces, kings when you lead? Maybe not. I think she probably should because so much of my range is draw heavy. Right. Um, I think it's it's probably the the right play for her to raise with the over pairs. Um, like you said before, how often do I have a ten? Right. Um, and then if I'm betting a draw, doesn't she want to charge me for that draw, and also force the other remaining opponent out of the pot? Uh, but that said, I don't think calling with those kind of hands is terrible because you control the pot size. In the event that you are beat, um, you know that way you don't you know, end up losing a huge pot with something like pocket kings. Um, but I think that 
when she raises the flop, she's going to have an overpair a lot. Yeah. I think most of her raising range should be over pairs on this board. So that's what I'm hoping. She'll see the need to have a raising range, and she'll decide to put her pocket aces, pocket kings, whatever, into that range. Um, and along with, obviously, uh, ace-10 and other hands with the 10 that, that are crushing me right now. Yeah. Uh, so when she calls, I'm pretty pretty much sure that my hand is good yeah as you know if, if there was any doubt which there kind of wasn't already um yeah you know, I, I felt like on this flop i had the best hand for sure I and think then probably, when she just called yeah like it's a small you know this is a small worry but if there's if there's one hand we have to be concerned about i guess it's sixes but like because that i think yeah. she could just flat um, yeah, right. Well, but she it, but, you know, if that's the right. case, we're probably going broke anyway at this point. So, <laughs> like, bring, yeah, bring yeah, it absolutely. On. Like, I'm not, I'm not gonna, like, yeah. I'm not gonna panic because oh shit, she flies. She must have sixes. I, I think, yeah, it sounds like we're kind of in the same boat. Like, we think she has a bunch of smaller pairs and maybe some over cards that involve a diamond, maybe even two diamonds, perhaps. Right. Well, she might right. raise those too. But I think we can discount the over pairs because I agree that I think she would probably raise those. Yeah. I mean, she's going to raise anything. She should be raising those hands. Yeah. So um, maybe she doesn't have a raising range, which is also fine. You don't have to have a raising range on every flop, right? Right, yeah. Sure. <laughs> so uh, the turn is the six of clubs. So now we have a double paired board, 10, 10, 6, 6, no flush. And I'm first. What would you do in my shoes? So I don't. Trying to th- now I'm trying to think of like what she does with that whole range we just discussed. Like I'm trying to put myself in her shoes. Like, is this guy Clayton going to barrel his draws when now the board is paired? And I kind of don't necessarily think you would. I don't think I would either. Yeah, so that kind of leads me towards the idea of checking. Although she's gonna check back a bunch of stuff. Like it's kind of it does suck when she has king. You know. Jacks plus, you know, jacks through aces, and now she can just check back so easily. I'm trying to think of how we can ever get value. I do. I mean, I am a big fan of the bet flop check turn bet river line, so it kind of makes me want to do that. Um, and we also give her a little bit of a chance to, you know, spew a little bit on the turn. I don't know though. I'm kind of torn between yeah, betting and checking. Could... I do think. Yeah, if I was pretty bet, torn. Gotta... This is. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I want you to go ahead. You well, go ahead. I was going to say, I think if we are going to bet, I think we want to bet pretty small. Um, a, okay. to give her some, some rope to raise, and to not make her panic with nines or jacks or something here and fold those hands. Yeah. My thing is, I don't know if I can get three streets from pocket nines, pocket fives, like any of those hands. Right. And I think that uh, when the river breaks, if I check here and the river breaks off, I can get so many more curious calls on the river from hands like pocket fives or um, even ace king. Mm-hmm. Might just have to look me up. You know what, Clayton? I thought you had a draw. The draw didn't get there, and now here you are betting again. I'm gonna I'm gonna call you with ace high. You know she could put ace king into her bluff catching range. Uh, just as easily as she put it into her 
flop calling range. Yeah. So, yeah, that was what I was thinking when I decided to check the turn. Yeah, I think and, I like I think I like check best. Like I said, if we're gonna bet, I think I think betting small is kind of okay. But I think I like checking. It also gives a chance, like maybe she's on a diamond drop. Maybe we maybe we can find a diamond on the river and then get that crying call. Right. Right. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, that's absolutely right. So she checks behind, and she did it in a way that made me think that she had actually considered betting pretty hard. Now, this is something that online players don't have to worry about, but like when I'm playing live, I really zero in on my opponents, and I feel like it's one of the most important uh, parts of the live game is you have to try to figure out your opponent's behavior and what it's telling you. I didn't think she was acting. I think that she actually contemplated betting on the turn and then chose not to. Interesting. Decided to check back. Yeah. So I put her on a hand like she has something. Right. Maybe even a six. Man, that would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. She has a six. We're loving life. Like what if she has like a six or something and she just didn't want to bet it because she's a little worried about the tens. You know, even though I don't have a lot of tens in my range, and we know I have one now, but yeah. Right, right. Um, but yeah, she looked like she really wanted to bet it or considered betting it at least, and then chose not to. So that gets us to the river, which is yet another six. So the final board is ten, ten, six, six, six. Oh wow! <laughs> and the action's on us again. Wow. This is interesting. I wonder. Hmm. I'm kind of. I'm really tempted to do like do a big overbet here. To a think that we're just trying to, especially I, this is it, <laughs> this is a small thing, but the fact that you're getting ready to go on break here is actually kind of. I don't know, sort of a neat nuance, because you can kind of make it look like you're just trying to get her to fold a hand before break because we all know everybody wants to go on break <laughs> yeah like it might be kind of I think was it like 3400 in the pot now at this point or something yeah 36 yeah 36, 36 yeah. like I I don't know I might I might bomb this for like 4200 or something and just... yeah I like it I like it you get action from all those hands that she thought about betting yeah on the turn um you know, if she has an overpair, like she then then she now has sixes full of jacks. Right. Right. Or sixes full of queens, whatever it is. And, um, it, and it's hard to fold a full house. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Even when there's one on the board. Yeah. You know, and and my range still includes all of those missed draws. Mm -hmm. So I'm playing the board now. In that case, and then I'm trying to get her to fold a chop. Right. Right. So, I mean, I could see the leveling value of the overbet here. I, I really like it, actually. Um, in the moment, it didn't feel like the right play. Uh, but now that we discussed it, I, I think there's a lot of merit to that play, especially, like you said, like the the going on break vig right, <laughs> is important right. to consider. Yeah. yeah. So instead, I've made a standard bet. I bet 2,000 into the 3,600 pot. And Ashley raised to five thousand. Whoa! Yeah, that was not expected at all. <laughs> so, 
So she's telling us she has a six, or I guess a ten. She, yeah, I mean, she could have a ten too. Is she? Uh, I I think the first thing we can do is take folding out of the like off the table. Like we're not folding. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, we're just, I, yeah. we're gonna be chopping here. I think most of the time. I mean, the, yeah. you know, if we try to break it down into percentages, it's going to be like, I mean, it's hard to make quads. So, you know, it's like yeah. sometimes she has a six, but not very often. So it's going to be like, nine, you know, 80% of the time we're chopping and like 15% of the time she's bluffing and like 5% she has yeah. a six. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, is she ever bluffing? I mean... I don't think so. I mean, we did kind of play it in a weird, you know, by checking the turn, like, we kind of look a little weak, you know, and maybe she, yeah. you know, she might be trying to, you know, get fancy with nothing, but I don't think so. Like, I think we're just, like, this is one of those ones where, like, all right, we chop here. I call, let's all pull our chips back and go to break. Because <laughs> well, I don't, it, I don't expect that's... her to be bluffing. Yeah, and you also don't feel like she ever has a six or has very many sixes just because we know where three of the four sixes are. So with that said, would you ever consider three betting to try to blow her off of a ten? Wow. Like, we can have a six, right? We can have a six. Yeah. Well, okay, I didn't really think of this. This is a really good point. You know, I actually kind of love it. I mean, like you said, if we're chopping anyway, why not try to get her to fold the chop if we think that's most likely what's happening? Right. And, I mean, we have 50K, so she makes, you made it two, she made it five. I mean, we can make it like 13.5 or 14 or whatever. And we're still, I mean, we still have tons of chips. If, if I mean, if she jams, I guess the question is, what's our plan if she jams <laughs> when we three bet? Uh, I think. I think if she jams, she has a six, or she's just so great at poker, we have to fold either way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, we can't be we can't be three betting, planning to call. That's right. for sure. Yeah, um, I, I think I. But, I mean, I'm kind of into that idea of three. You know, it, it, it's not fun <laughs> when we have to fold. Um, yeah, uh, but it's just always a six when we fold. It's always yeah, a six. Yeah, it would be yeah. the, it would be one of the easier folds you have to make. That's for sure. It won't yeah, be, it won't be the funnest because then you'll go, well, why didn't I just call? Blah blah blah. Right, but, right. Um, yeah, I kind of like that because yeah, we're gonna find out real quick if she has a six, and we're gonna get yeah. her to fold ten a decent amount of the time, and then if not, then chop it up and like I said, go to break. Yeah. So, I mean, I took a little time here. For me, like a minute is a really long tank. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to play pretty fast and just keep the game moving. Um, I've, I ultimately called, but I definitely was thinking about putting in like, well, what, what's Ashley going to do if I make it 18,000? You know? Yeah. But look at, how, look at how she played the turn. If she has a 10 and she checked behind on the turn, that's pretty gangster, you know? Yeah. After I let out, and right. then yeah, I, I would like six peels off, and she checked back, you know. Yeah, that's that's definitely a weird check back if she did. I mean, yeah, I guess it's kind. I mean, if she thinks your range is a bunch of draws, I guess it's kind of cool to let you try to hit it. Um, yeah, but right, I, I'd rather right. charge you a little bit though. You know, you guys are both deep, yeah. so you know, put out a little bet, charge you something. Because yeah. then when you don't hit your draw, you're just going to check fold the river and 
it's over. Yeah. So. Yeah. So anyway, I just called a five and yeah, she had a 10. She had 10, nine, same exact hand as me. Oh, wow. Yeah, she had 10-9 off also, and she played it pretty tricky. Like, her turn check, you know, much respect, actually. That's the last thing I thought was that she might have a 10 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so it was uh, – I, th- I found that hand really interesting, not because of how I played it, but because how I thought about playing it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I would love to know. Like, I, I never do this at the table, but, you know, some people – you hear people all the time go, Oh, you know, would you have folded if I raised or whatever? But yeah. <laughs> this is one of those cases I would love to know the answer. Yeah, I'd love to know the answer, even though I'm not going to ask the actual question. Right. right. Yeah. So if you're listening, Ashley, get at us on Twitter. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'll definitely make sure Ashley hears this because I'm giving her mad props on this one. So. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um. So do we have time for another one? Because I kind of have. Uh... Another one to bring up if you if you have time for I it. I have time if you do, yep. Alright, cool. So let's just do this one. Um this is you know much later. Now the anti's come in and in this tournament there's a big blind only anti, nice. which I love and I think most players love. Huge. Um yeah, so I'm cruising along here on day one. I've gotten it up to seventy six thousand. Um the blinds are two hundred and three hundred with a three hundred anti. So there's 800 in the pot um so like you know our m is 90 <laughs> right I mean, I mean we have a lot of chips you know yeah uh, and i love playing really deep because uh i just feel like it gives you a lot more leeway and a lot more room to make plays that you can't make in short stack situations it's just more fun to have all of these other weapons at your disposal that you just don't have when you're playing 30 big blinds or something. So, for sure. um, yeah, so it's fun. So anyway, uh, this guy, uh, who has been opening like 60% of the time that it's folded to him, uh, opens to 800 from the cutoff position. And he's got about 62 ish. Uh, and I'm on the button with the ace four off and choose to three bet uh, 2,500. You know, nine times out of ten, this guy's just going for the blinds. He's been raising so much. Ace four is well ahead of his range anyway. Um, I'll probably take it down a lot and win a you know pretty decent-sized pot with no flop. Uh, you know, the blinds were pretty tight, not overly tight, but they weren't exactly going to cold four on this, you know? Right. Um, so, well, what do you think of that play first? Uh, I like it. I think having the ace blocker is always nice to choose for a three betting hand, especially if you know, we're, we're on the button. So even when we get flatted or something, we're going to be playing a position, which is always good. Um, I, I like the villain that we've picked to do it against because he's opening so frequently when folded to. Um, have, has he been three bet much? And in in those times, you know, is he folding a lot to three bets? Is he is he sticky post? Like any any thoughts on no. him from that regard? Yeah, I wish I had more information about that. But honestly, it hasn't been a very uh, three bet heavy table. Yeah. And because most of his opens have been from early and middle position. Um. I haven't been in position to three bet him light that often. Like I don't like to 
take like an eight, seven of hearts and three bet somebody when I'm not even on the button right? or at least really close to it. So this is really my first opportunity to, to, uh, you know, put this guy to the test and no one else at the table has really been inclined to do so either. So, yeah. And that makes me kind of even like it more. I mean, we haven't done it to him, um, and nobody really has. So, you know, it's not like, it's not gonna be a situation where, you know, this guy's gonna be like, man, every time I open, they're three betting me, like, screw this guy, yeah, I'm gonna no. four bet, you know? So I think I think our, our three bet's gonna look strong. Um, so yeah, I dig it. Cool, cool. So um, if everybody folds back to him, and he calls. So he had made it 800, I made it 2,500. Uh, the blinds and annies are 800. So now there's 5,800 in the pot total, and we have, you know, just... He's got sixty thousand, so there's, you know, just a huge, huge pot, a uh, huge stack to play this smallish pot. Yeah. Uh, flop is jack of spades, eight of spades, three of hearts, and we have the ace of spades, four of clubs. So we have no pair, but we have two backdoor draws. All right. Uh, my opponent checks. Yeah, so I mean, it's not like our favorite flop in the world, but like you said, we got two back doors, and more importantly, I think we have the we you know we took the aggression pre-flop, so our range looks strong. I would see bet here pretty yeah, I think I would see bet here pretty much like a hundred percent of the time, maybe like ninety yeah. percent of the time. Um, and I don't think we need to go particularly big either. You know, twenty twenty two hundred something like that seems like a reasonable bet. I hope so. That's exactly what I bet. <laughs> See, <laughs> I, I knew reasonable. this. I knew this partnership was going to be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like making this play here because we have the ace of spades. So one of our back draw, one of our back door draws is to the nuts, mm-hmm. um, which is always fun when you can pick up a really nice spade on the turn. You know your opponent didn't make the nuts with that card. Yep. Um, which is always, you know, I know it's more of a PLO thing, but something that I think about a lot, um, you know, in Hold'em as well. Uh, I think 22 is fine because so much of my opponent's raise calling range pre-flop is just garbage that missed this board. So, you know, anything from like, I mean, I think he's pretty wide here. So he could easily have like a 5-4 suited mm-hmm. um any ace uh and just a lot of like king 10 just stuff that doesn't want to continue yeah um yeah, that makes sense so there's no reason to really bet bigger um uh, he check raised me to 6500 hmm. and i think a lot of listeners would say then why are we talking about this hand you fold <laughs> and that's it but is there any merit to calling is there any merit to raising? Do we just have to fold because, you know, we, we took our stab at the pot and he raised it, so just give up? What do you think? I think that... I think I fold here most of the time. Not saying that's the right play. I think I do it all the time, though. I, I'm wondering, like... So if we had ace of clubs, four of spades, the reverse, then we can start putting, like, some nut flush draws in his range that we could actually maybe 
get him off of by calling here and doing something on future streets or by raising here. But we know he blocked the nut flush draw, so I mean, but I guess he can still he could just have two spades. Um, his sizing is kind of. I mean, I guess it's not that big, but it's close to full 3x. I mean, yeah. Yeah, which I, in a live team, that's pretty standard. I mean, yeah. you don't you don't really see small. I know online there's a lot of really small, like kind of click it back sort of stuff. You don't really see that much live. Like yeah, this is pretty true. standard Very bet true. sizing on his part. My bet is notably small, though. You don't see a lot of down betting. Yeah, that's a good point. I think so. It might make it might have inspired him to come after me. Yeah. Is what I was thinking at the moment. That's a good point. I think I lean towards the fold here, but I, and I, if I'm going to do one of the other two options, I actually kind of think I like calling better than raising. Okay. So, uh, go ahead. Why? Um, I think there's lots of turns that a improve our hand or b that we can just like wrap the shit out of. Um. And when we three bet, I mean, we're going to have to make it pretty chunky. Like, it's a pretty good chunk of our stack to, well, actually, I guess we're, yeah, three betting. Um, I mean, we're going to have to make it like, I mean, you know, by live standards, I guess like 18K. Um, Maybe a little less just because the three bet gets a lot more respect on the flop. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. It's like, wow, what do you have, you know? And also... Like, I'm trying to think of, like, what hands we're doing that with, because if I'm in this, if I'm in your shoes and he does this to me and I have, like, say, jacks or eights or an overpair, like, I'm probably going to call those hands. And so when I'm, I feel like when I'm raising, I I feel like I'm repping a lot of draws. That's interesting. Because um, I don't, like, I'm trying to think of what I, what I raise him with here. Like, what am I going to make it yeah. 16K with? Like, am I going to do that with aces? I don't even know if I would. Yeah, like, so I, I would. Yeah, I like it. I like the way you're thinking. Um, I think the first question is, what is he making a 6,500 with? Mm -hmm. um, how doesn't he have a lot of draws in his range? Does he ever do this with, like, something like 8-9, uh, where he's got a middle pair, and I bet small, so he's going to try to take it down now, see where he's at knowing that he could pick up equity on the turn. Like if a 10 or a 7 peels off, he gets a he gets a straight draw. Mm -hmm. um, you know, is he that type to do that? I think he is. Um, I could be wrong. Do it, does he ever do this with just like a naked jack, like a jack 10 or queen jack type of hand? Or does he just check and call those hands, which is probably more standard? Mm -hmm. um, does he have a lot of spade draws or 10-9 or similar hands, like maybe like a queen 10? type of hand in his range with a gut shot and over card those kind of things like especially if you had the queen of spades so you know for me my first question when he made it 65 was what the heck does he have right you yeah, know is he doing that interesting. yeah is he doing that with did he slow play aces pre-flop possibly did he uh you know does he is he trying to see where he's at a lot of times the uh, flop check raise is either uh, a draw, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. or somebody that has a little something and wants to see where he's at. Right. Yeah, I would so, definitely say like that. I, I, I think I've heard Andrew talk about this, Andrew Brokus, but if not, somebody has on some podcast about 
that being a way more common live phenomenon that like you know had to find out where i was <laughs> kind of bad yeah, yeah um, right. so i mean that does make some sense for sure and and we yeah. can kind of give him i mean i mean we we're gonna look so strong when we when if we come back with a raise yeah like, I, he, I mean he's gonna have to pretty much have a set to, yeah and i mean he's probably not going to check raise a lot of sets well maybe with the i mean it is kind of a draw ish heavy board like maybe he check raises those yeah i think i if he if he has a check raising range i'd like him to have sets in it um i don't mean i'd like it i mean i think he should have sets in it um because he is going to have like a lot of those draws like you know in his shoes if i had like queen nine of spades i probably wouldn't have called the three bet pre-flop but if i ended up here somehow with like a queen nine or queen ten or 10-9, especially if I have a flush draw too. Mm. Like, yeah, let's check raise, get it in, you know? Right. Um, so those are the hands that can continue if he has those hands and the sets. Otherwise, if he's just doing this with a jack or an eight or some other bluff hand that doesn't have the uh, flush draw, straight draw combo, then I think he doesn't want to continue when I three-bet the flop. So... I don't know. I did choose to three bet the flop, and it's not something I do a lot. But here's a pot where I three bet pre-flop and on the flop, and uh, I'm I'm proud of my uh, my sizing. I made it fifteen six, so fifteen thousand six hundred. So the bets were twenty two sixty five, and then fifteen six, and I think that's a little small, but it's it's big enough that it threatens his stack. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks so funny. valuish too. It looks it looks like pure value. Like I have the three jacks or three eights here, like every time. You know, yep. the question is do I three bet pocket eights pre flop or would I just flat with that in? I mean I think it's certainly feasible that I might have three bet, especially him, with a pair of eights before the flop. Mm-hmm. So um I'm thinking that if he doesn't have a set, he really can't continue. Unless he has specifically like a ten nine of spades open ended straight flush draw, right? Then he almost doesn't care if I do have a set, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> He's like, all right, we're flipping. Here we go. Yeah, let's go. Let's flip it for all the all the money. Um. So, I don't know if this is just a, a spew. To me, the difference between a spew and a great bluff is somebody calling you. Right. Right. <laughs> Some of the time, you know. So in this in this case, my opponent went all in with very little hesitation. Wow. So I just obviously have to fold ace high here, but I found it an interesting spot because it's all based on the fact that my opponent's been so laggy mm-hmm. that I just kind of had to I, – I chose to pick a spot to get after him because I just know his range is so wide, but I think I ran into one of those few times when he actually had a hand. Yeah, it sounds like it. I You know, it's funny because when we first started talking about this hand, I was – I was leaning towards folding or calling as a second option. And now that we've talked it through, I actually kind of really like your raise. Yeah, I like it too, but I just ran to the top of his range. Yeah. But, you know, I definitely think that, as you said, when, when I bet 22 and he makes it 65, you pretty much fold there. Right. Maybe too often. Well, I think that because Clayton has fancy play syndrome... <laughs> I continue too often, and that's what I'm working on in my game is, you know, if I'm going to do this, I have to have a specific reason 
why I do this. It's literally the only time in the whole tournament that I, I made a play like this. Mm-hmm. And it was because I had this particular read on this particular opponent at that time in the event. But, I, you know, even a guy who's a maniac can have a set of jacks once in a while. Yep. Yeah. Right. It's also cool because you build a little like like a little image equity too. You know, like I I'm not yeah. I'm not suggesting to our listeners that they invest fifteen thousand six hundred chips into building an aggro image, but a lot of times like when I lose these kind of bots and if if I happen to play one just like this, I go okay that sucked I lost fifteen k in chips but I look like I'm a, like a, a crazy guy now so I can yeah. utilize this because I'm generally you know probably compared to the average live player a pretty tight player. But and I still have. By the way, I still have sixty thousand something in my chip in my stack, so it's not even like. Yeah, you're still two hundred big lines deep. Like you're crushing. Yeah, it. I'm fine. Yeah, so that's kind of the beauty of not showing up on day two to register these events, and you know, actually playing deep stack for a while, you can find spots, and uh, you know, most of the tournaments I've won or done really well in in my in my career. It's, there's been a moment like this where instead of running into the nuts, I got the fold and then I had a monster stack and everybody was afraid to mess with me. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you kind of build up that image and then you can really exploit it later down the line. Um, but yeah, in this particular event, this hand was kind of the beginning of the end for me. Uh, for the next several hours, I didn't win a single pot or so it seemed. And, you know, it just seemed like if I tried to bluff, they called. And if I tried to value bet, they folded and nothing went my way. And I was uh, just hoping for a table change because I thought my image was shot after it had been so good earlier. And long story short, I didn't quite make it to the end of day one. So uh, that wasn't fun. But the good news is between day one of this tournament and my comedy gigs that weekend, I cleaned up in the cash games. I know this is a tournament podcast, but... Oh, yeah, I was awesome. playing from 10:25 at Borgata, and I guess a lot of the guys who busted out of the main event uh, were also at my tables because uh, I didn't think it was a typical 10:25 game at Borgata, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> it was atypical in a good way. So, uh, yeah, good it, time. I, I would say, like for people listening who are primarily tournament players, but like consider themselves decent at cash, don't be afraid to utilize cash games during tournament series as a little bit of a variance killer because I, I don't do it very often and certainly not often enough but you'll never see tournament or you'll never see cash games as soft as when people are busting out of tournaments and coming and sitting down in the cash games <laughs> right right I, I second that 100% yeah absolutely so I hope these hands were interesting I hope people enjoyed hearing about my little uh, I can't even call it a run because I didn't even make day two uh, the Borgata Poker Open but I think it's fun to talk about early stages sometimes and different approaches I know a lot of players they don't like to take any chances on day one they they have the philosophy of well you, can, you can't win the tournament on day one but you can definitely lose it and I mean I proved that uh, at this time I did lose it uh, but I think I think uh, there's something to be said for kind of looking at different styles and uh, a lot of times uh, a lot of times when I've done well in tournaments, it's because I kind of came out swinging mm-hmm. at a table where everybody else was thinking, well, I have to be careful and protect my stack. Day one is about survival. Right. If you feel like your opponents have that mentality, it's good to kind of put them to the test a little bit because they're probably going to fail. Yep. Yeah, and on that note, I mean, there's a lot of, 
like a lot of times when you're talking hands with people, it's always like their bust out hand or some like right. or the hand <laughs> that led to their bust out, you know, like the, something really deep. So like people just forget about the hands that happen on level one, two, three, you know. Uh, and yeah. sometimes those are the most, if not the most important ones, sometimes the most interesting ones. So um, I love the fact that you are so good about taking notes um, on hands like this, and cause I, you know, I think I and a lot of other people don't do enough of it. And uh, it's going to make for some cool uh, strategy discussions on the podcast. Oh yeah, I got I have a huge library of uh, hands that I've played in various live tournaments over the years that I can draw from if we're ever without a guest and we just need uh, to make sure that uh, we, we keep our promise and put out a podcast every week. Yeah. I'm happy to do that. Um, I also intend to watch the uh, World Series of Poker on ESPN, the weekly coverage that they're going to be showing, uh, for purely narcissistic reasons to see how much <laughs> time I get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's going to be great because you'll, you'll be able to just pull hands from that, which will be kind of a neat little, you know, companion piece, if you will, to the, to the World Series broadcast. Yeah, well, it's getting started now, so I'm definitely going to be watching and uh, I'll bring my thoughts on the play, whether it's hands that I played or uh, if I know any of the other players, maybe I can get, offer some insight. Um, you know, in the World Series main event. I'm happy to do that and uh, just try to help everybody out there maybe get a little bit better at tournament poker, including myself. Yep. And, uh, you know, you guys having me as the new host is uh, something I never dreamed would happen and I, I couldn't be happier about it. So thank you. Cool, man. Yeah, we're, we're really stoked about it. It's going to be cool. So for, um, for everybody out there listening, um, you know, like we said, give us your feedback. Let us know what you think. And look forward to uh, weekly episodes starting very, very soon. It's going to be good times. Well, thanks a lot, Derek. Appreciate it, bud. Awesome. Thanks, man. And thank you to everybody out there for listening. And we will see you, or at least one of us will see you, uh, <laughs> next time on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. Love it, it's not rough, it isn't 